theological education should be affordable. Seminary students should not have to take out tens of thousands of dollars in student loans to train for the ministry. At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, our students pay a base of $75 per credit hour and a $375 per semester fee. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here, and I have the privilege to talk with J. Ryan Davidson today. So welcome to the podcast, brother. Absolutely, brother. Good to be back with you again. Yeah, and it has been uh, a little while since we've recorded an episode with you. We will direct our listeners to go back and uh, check out what you've recorded with us previously. But uh, perhaps for our new listeners, can you just reintroduce yourself and tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, brother. Um, Again, Ryan Davidson, uh, married to Christy, and we have four kids. I currently pastor and have been pastoring for about 13 years, uh, Grace Baptist Chapel, in Hampton, Virginia. It's a Reformed Baptist uh, church there on the coast near the Atlantic, and um, also do some teaching uh, at a couple of different institutions in a kind of adjunct or part-time capacity, Covenant uh, Seminary being one of them. So uh, good to be back with you. Yeah, thank you for joining us. And uh, for our topic today, we're going to be uh, discussing some ABCs, and I'll be more specific about what the ABCs mean. We're going to be discussing the Apostolic Fathers, Bavink, and Counseling. So uh, a unique uh, combination there. But to begin our conversation, can you present the necessity of counseling, specifically pastoral counseling, from Scripture? Yeah, I think that's a good question, brother. I mean, I, I think there there are any number of texts that we could point to uh, where one of the implications of the passage, if not the direct uh, statement within the passage, is that brothers and sisters within the body of Christ, of course, under the larger guidance of the elders of, of particular local churches, uh, are to be offering words of sound biblical counsel to one another. Uh, you know, one of those passages that you uh, find that in, I think, is in uh, 1 Thessalonians. Um, where you are, you see Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, telling them to admonish uh, and to comfort and to to be patient with with all. And and in that text, you essentially have the entire church, not just the elders, but the entire church exhorted to to do that. Um, and while the word counsel uh, doesn't appear there, or, um, there there is the sense in which word ministry. Um, as a secondary resource in the church under the preaching of the word, word ministry is to be happening as people take the word and apply it to the lives of, of other brothers and sisters. And so I think First Thessalonians 5 would be just a, one example of such a passage where you could make that argument from Scripture. Yeah, and continuing to talk about counseling and the importance of it, what are the different counseling theories and which model do you affirm? 
Yeah, yeah. Good, good question. Um, you know, obviously there there are secular counseling uh, schools uh, of thought on that. Um, years ago, I in, in one of the master's programs that I was in, I kind of learned all those and uh, was able to dive into um, all of those. But what we're talking about has to do with um, kind of thinking about how Christians um, utilize counseling. And there are a variety of methods. There's the method all the way over on one side that essentially says psychology and theology are two separate kind of worlds, that they speak to different spheres that very rarely, if ever, overlap. Um, And so that's kind of the furthest extreme on one side. Slightly moving inward from that, you have what many people call integration. And that's where people say, let's take secular psychology theories Let's take the things that we can learn from, uh, from those theories and, and kind of integrate theological and biblical components. And that's why you get the word integration. And so you may have a uh, Christian who goes and studies counseling or psychotherapy or psychology. They get licensed as a clinician and then they say, but I'm also a Christian, so I want to work in the truth of the scriptures. Um, and some of them do that fairly well. And then a lot of times it turns into uh in my opinion and experience over the years, it kind of turns into, I'm a Christian that happens to do secular counseling. Um, and and that, I don't mean to be unfair, uncharitable, but in many cases, that's, that's the expression that happens. That's called integration. If you move one step further inward, you get what is called Christian psychology. And that is not to say that there are psychologists that are Christians. Those do exist. But this is a particular school of individuals who want to do uh, psychology from a distinctly theological framework. So guys like Eric Johnson, I believe he's out at Houston Baptist University and others, um, they have sort of created this model where they want to do psychology and psychological research, but they want the the premises uh, and the presuppositions from which that psychology is practiced to be based and sifted through the scriptures. That's very close to perhaps the other end of the spectrum or the maybe the furthest inward, and that's called biblical counseling. And biblical counseling is essentially, it's broad. There are a variety of, of individuals who practice biblical counseling, but in short, it is the view that we should counsel from the Word of God, that we should take the truth of Scripture and apply that to the hurts and... Uh, uh, sins and and hang-ups, perhaps, of, of the, the individual. Um, and so that's biblical counseling. I would say that Christian psychology and biblical counseling can hold hands. They can be seen as cousins, even though there are some differences of opinion there. So those are kind of four broad models to kind of think about how Christians think about counseling. And uh, for some of them, um, pastors or elders in a local church wouldn't necessarily practice those because some of those models, like kind of integration, you, you kind of have to have specific clinical training if that's the model that you adhere to. Uh, but pastors should be aware of those four models because those are the models that are out there within the Christian counseling world. I know that's kind of a long answer, but uh, brother, does that kind of address what you were kind of after? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for that. And yeah. we've been uh, beginning to consider counseling We've talked about the necessity of counseling and different counseling theories. 
I'm kind of working backwards now in my acronym, so we will move the conversation on by addressing the Apostolic Fathers. So uh, for this part of the conversation, can you spend some time telling us uh, some of the people that you are studying in your PhD research? Who were the Apostolic Fathers and how and why are they helpful to pastoral counseling? Yeah, great question. Some of our listeners might be thinking, wow, the ABCs, how did we mix the Apostolic Fathers, Bob Inc., uh, who lived quite a bit later, and uh, counseling. And and honestly, you and I, brother, had talked about this previously because actually for both of us, uh, all three of these things perhaps are intriguing and interesting. Um, and we occasionally joke uh, on, on social media platforms about how wonderful it is to read Bob Inc. So we're kind of m- mixing all of these things together in one podcast episode. But the Apostolic Fathers is part of what we're talking about because you and I briefly uh, talked about how my current PhD research is uh, looking at the first and second century Christian movement, kind of early Christianity, with a focus on understanding how the leaders of the early Christian church, uh, pastors and elders, counseled and cared for the family. Um, And so that's kind of a specific topic, but what that's done is that's caused me to have to dig into a set of writings right after the New Testament. So I I look at the New Testament, but uh, kind of the the next set of writings. So they're non-canonical, they're not spirit-inspired, but yet they are beneficial historically for us. That next set of writings is often referred to, it's a corpus of writings referred to as the Apostolic Fathers. So you have books in there like 1st Clement, 2nd Clement, the Didache, uh, some writings between Polycarp and Ignatius, and those kinds of writings. So really, depending on who you ask, dated from the uh, late 1st century to the very beginning of the 3rd century. Um, And so I've just had to dive into those works and um, read them and seek to understand how do they address the family? How do pastors writing these letters or sermons, um, depending on the the genre of the particular work, how are they addressing the issue of counseling? Is that even something that they're doing? And so, uh, for instance, in the Didache and First Clement and the writings of Ignatius uh, and Polycarp, you do see them addressing the souls of Christians. And part of what they deal with is how giving instruction to the family and giving counsel, and I'm going to use that modern word counsel, um, but giving counsel and instruction to the the uh, individual Christians about the family, it was, it was considered part of the work of soul care, in my opinion. And that's kind of one of the arguments I make. And so um, it's kind of a long answer, and I don't want to ramble, brother, but in that corpus of literature, and, and I, I read some outside of that, uh, Tertullian, Clement of Alexander, um, uh, Irenaeus, you j- just kind of searching through how did they treat the family? How did pastors think about kind of offering counsel and care? Some of those works, there's very little. Some of them, there's a lot to sift through. So um, it is interesting, though, to say, and I'll just kind of end with this on this question. Um, how it's interesting for me to see how often these early Christian writers are utilizing the words of the scriptures in how they offer counsel and care. I'm not, I'm not saying they had a robust biblical counseling and they would distinguish it the way that we would in the 21st century, but they often just point people to the word when they offer counsel. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, and you are correct. I am very interested in what you're studying. Um, and so following up on that, uh, as you begin to talk about some of the people or documents that you're studying, what cultural difficulties have you found in your study um, as you have tried to apply their soul care um, that the apostolic fathers and their teaching would present in a 21st century ministry context? Yeah, good question. So uh, at the outset, let me say in the PhD dissertation, I, I don't really touch on the practical application, which is one that some people say is one of the downsides of, of doing PhD work, or maybe one of the boring sides is that you, you, you do a historical study and you, you don't really have a chapter on how to apply it. That's something that I like talking about, though. It's something that I think is important. Um, I actually think that the difficulties that I've encountered have, have only been in, in uh, the sense that the, the households of first and second and third century Christians in the Greco-Roman Empire looked different than ours do. And it's actually not presented a difficulty for me. It's actually been quite intriguing and interesting to me to think about how in the first and second century Roman culture, the gospel has moved beyond Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. It's moved to the uttermost parts of the world, so to speak, to kind of use that model of Acts 1.8. And Gentiles are flocking to Christ by the grace of God through his spirit. And so you start to have, for instance, slaves, you know, Gentile slaves who are coming to Christ, well, they're still in the household. The head of their household is their slave owner. And so you may have a a rich, well-to-do slave owner who has a couple of slaves in his house that are Christians. And so now pastors in in these Christian churches, sometimes having to pastor through persecution, are having to give counsel to slaves about how to honor their master who is sort of almost like the father of their family, right? I mean, think about this. Rome did not recognize, for a period of time, Rome did not recognize the the marriage of of certain slaves. So the call to the Christian was to be faithful in your marriage. And a slave may have a marriage, but the state not recognize it. A slaveholder may sell uh, a woman, and it may be the wife of another slave. And so you have all of these pastoral care issues that the Apostolic Father's Corpus only briefly touches on. But the difficulty is, you know, you and I think family, I think as we ought to, mother, father, children, if the Lord allows, right? And and the structure of having to do pastoral care in the first and second century church was, was very different. So it's not been a difficulty in, in you know, uh, the work. It's just been, it's opened my eyes to thinking about how to pastor in very difficult circumstances. You know, imagine. Uh, a, a, a Christian man who is a slave, perhaps a leader in one of the churches in, in, in Asia Minor, and he has a child with, with a woman who he's living in, in a marriage with, and then that child is sold. I mean, just think about the pastoral care kind of implications that, that are there. Um, and so that's been one of the unique things is I live in, you know, 2021, and I'm having to kind of put myself in a different culture and yet see that the, the truth of God's word is still the same, right? Yeah, that's excellent. And that's really what I was looking for with that question. So thank you for sharing that with us. I know we had talked about that in conversation. Um, Now I'll move us to the middle or the B in the ABCs 
as we now move a couple century forwards, as you mentioned. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about your interest in the life and ministry of Herman Bovink in some ways that he has benefited you in your ministry? Yeah, I remember years ago, uh, you know, Bob Inc. was not someone that I read in seminary. Uh, I'm actually, uh, I came to Bob Inc., I think, later than I should. Although I will say, as you know, brother, Bob Inc. has become somewhat recently translated in in mass into English. And so there are a lot of us who, through our own negligence uh, or ignorance, we just didn't even know a guy named Bob Inc. existed. And I remember listening to a brother at a conference talking about the doctrine of God, and he kept kept quoting this guy named Bavink. And I thought, hmm, let me look this up. And honestly, it just became a hobby for me, uh, diving into reading Bavink, you know, the kind of the 1800s, early 1900s Dutch theologian reformed, you know, kind of the the Netherlands reformed movement. Um, And I know you guys have had an episode on your podcast where you kind of take a biographer of Bob Inc. and kind of walk through that. So I, I would commend that episode to your listeners uh, if they want information about Bob Inc. But I, I just began to read what I could get my hands on. I got a copy of, of Reformed Dogmatics. I began to read that. And then prior to the recent James Eglinton um, critical biography, there was another biography by a man, I believe his name was Ron Gleason, if I've got this name right. I, I picked that up. I believe PNR published it and I read it. And honestly, for me, it, 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 I love Christian biography. I, I read as many biographies as I can. It was, it was very encouraging, but um, I also have spent a lot of time in the Netherlands. Uh, my PhD work is through the Free University of Amsterdam, where Bavink taught along with Abraham Kuyper for a while. And so as I'm reading this biography, I'm following this man through his life. And yet some of the places and things that are being talked about, I, I've been been there or I've heard of, right? I've spent a lot of time on the streets of the Netherlands, uh, all over the country. And so part of that is probably just, I have this familiar kind of feel for that country. But then Eglinton's biography came out and I just, I was like, I got to read that. I got it early. Um, uh, probably a copy that was right at pre-publication or right at publication from the publisher. And I just read it. Uh, enjoyed that immensely. And again, listen to that episode. Uh, you're, you know, I would commend that to your listeners. Um, but Bob Inc. has been helpful to me because when I read him, I feel like his he stretches my mind in ways that I, I'm not sure. I could, Man, I'm not sure my mind can be stretched further than it already is when I'm reading him. He stretches my mind. And at the same time, he... And, by God's grace, he has a way of writing that it enlarges the affections of my heart for the triune God, right? It's not just an academic exercise for me. Uh, I read him and I think he's got his finger on having a mind that is set on learning the the truths of God's word, uh, both from scripture and from the light of nature as well. But he's got he's got his finger on helping me stretch my mind and yet engaging my heart as well. So Reformed Dogmatics, great work. I've read some of his other works, a recent book on preaching that was published, and um, I'm kind of considering how I can use his work on the Christian family in some course that, you know, down the road to teach. So it's just been very beneficial. I will say, brother, Bob Inc. is one where when I read him, I have to have a laptop or a smartphone next to me because just about every page, he'll quote someone or he'll refer to some 
philosophy or ism that I've not heard of. Um, and I don't mean that pridefully. I just mean, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, okay, now I've got to go on this journey to learn what he's talking about. He just, his mind was just, just so, so large. And so that's encouraging as well. Uh, but he's solidly confessional, um, three forms of unity, of course, and uh, doesn't give up on that to engage the science and the philosophy of the world. So uh, he's just one of my interests, you know, personally. Hmm. Amen. And you've kind of already alluded to how you can answer the next question, but I'll go ahead and um, ant- ask it so you can answer it however you would like. So how can Herman Boving's life, ministry, and theology help us to counsel God's sheep with the word? And as you mentioned, Bovink is widely known for his Reformed dogmatics. So more generally than following after that, how can systematic theology help us counsel God's sheep? Yeah, great, great question, uh, question, brother. And actually, this is, it, it's, I've joked about it before, I think with you, but um, I think so often in seminary training courses or in Christian counseling kind of programs, we sort of view counseling courses as kind of, oh, well, those, that's one of the practical courses I have to take. And a lot of us go to seminary to study theology and we think, ah, they're telling me to get my Master of Arts or my MDiv. I, I got to take counseling, so I'll do that. But I have a desire for counseling to be robustly theological. It needs to be practical, right? It, it needs to follow the model that we see in Scripture. Um, it needs to be nuanced and sensitive to uh, the, the trials and sufferings that people are going through. But one of the reasons why I jokingly say I want counseling students to read Bavink is because when we counsel the Word, um, there are a lot of implications that we make about you know, theological anthropology, the, the doctrine of man, but also theology proper, the doctrine of God. And I've just seen a lot of Christian counselors get a little wishy-washy on their affirmations of the doctrine of God. And for me, Bavink is one of those brothers in the Christian family from a previous era that is crisp on the doctrine of God. And, and biblical counselors The pastors counseling from the word need to have a theological understanding so that we don't begin to say things like, God didn't know when this happened, or or when you were suffering, uh, God was right there suffering along with you, right? I mean, these kinds of statements that almost kind of twist orthodox understanding of the doctrine of God. And so I'm thankful when I teach counseling to seminary students, if they're also reading in their other classes, Bavink, because I'm able to say, hey, look, we need this theological foundation. We need systematic theology, or else we're going to be essentially presenting a God to hurting people that is not the God of the Bible, right? And so that's why I think, again, counseling and Bavink seemingly unrelated, but for me, uh, Bavink and and other systematic and, and, and kind of dogmatic theologians are crucial for someone who's going to be walking alongside the the hurting people uh, of our churches, right? Hmm. If our Twitter friend Rob Ruiz was listening, he might share a meme, pure gold. Thank you for that answer, <laughs> brother. Well, um, to wrap up this conversation in our ABCs, do you have any final thoughts or encouragements pertaining to the Apostolic Fathers, Herman Bovink, or pastoral counseling? Yeah, I, I would just say, you know, we've we've covered 
two different periods, right? I mean, Bavinck, 1800s, 1900s, apostolic fathers, the corpus there, you know, 100s, 200s, early 300s. And so we've kind of gone all over the map in terms of the chronology. But one of the things that's helpful is to remember that as we study the scriptures to counsel, as we consider various Christian uh, models as, as pastors, right? Some, some listeners might specifically go get training in, in counseling and they may serve as an extension of a local church or something of that nature. But as we think about counseling, it's helpful for us to remember that we're not the first people. We're not the first Christians to, to think deeply about how to care for the souls of Christ's people. And so for me, when I look at other brothers, you know, when I read biographies of Bavink and I see him pastoring for a year, maybe close to two years, uh, as I see him doing deep theological work and not wanting to leave uh, his denomination seminary because he saw the need for pastors to be trained, when I think about that, it's helpful for me to remember, you know, hey, we're not the first people to wrestle with how to use the scripture in counseling, how to combat the philosophies of this world. And we can certainly build, I say this humbly, right? You and I and others, we can certainly build on the foundation of other brothers from previous generations, but it's helpful for us to remember that we're a part of this large family and that there are our brothers who have labored uh, among the souls of Christ's sheep prior to us. And we can learn, if we're humble, we can, we can learn lessons from them, right? And so I, I would just commend that to, to your listeners who are thinking about kind of counseling that, hey, you know, we're, I realize counseling and psychology has become very popular, perhaps too popular in our therapeutic age, but we're not the first people to think about caring for others and to care for the mind and the soul. And so it, we benefit when we dive into the works of others from previous generations. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been considering, as I've mentioned, the Apostolic Fathers, Herman Bovink, and Pastoral Counseling with J. Ryan Davidson. He has done an excellent job in this conversation, helping us to consider these topics. So thank you, brother, so much for joining the podcast. Absolutely, brother. Always a pleasure to talk with you. And to our listeners, once again, we want to wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to The Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.